This show is made possible by you, our listeners. If you like what you hear, and if you want to help us tell more stories and reach more people, then from only two US dollars a month, you can become a patron of the show. Just visit patreon.com forward slash Aruka Network. Hello, I'm Jake Lloyd and welcome to How to Build Community, a podcast and a radio show brought to you by Aruka Network. In this episode, we find out what it's like to set up and run a hospital. Of course, hospital is related to healthcare and patients and that's of course our primary role, but to think of this hospital as a platform for community transformation rather than just treating patients. So I think quite a lot of people now feel they are part of a bigger purpose than just a hospital. That's the voice of Dr. Sadevi Angami. He helped set up a hospital called the Christian Institute of Health and Sciences Research in the city of Dimapur in the far northeast of India. As well as being the director of the hospital, Sadevi works each day as a doctor there. And he's also a member of our network. And speaking personally, having known Sadevi for about two years, his wisdom, experience and insight have been very valuable in my own life and work. And it's my hope that after this interview, you might feel the same way. So in this episode, you'll hear him talk about the challenges of setting up the hospital in his part of the world and some of the unusual activities that the hospital is involved in. You'll also hear how it's grown to its current size of almost 500 regular employees and its grounds, which cover some 130 acres. But as he does this, you'll also get to hear some of his experiences and wisdom covering things such as being resilient in pursuit of a vision, of recruiting others to pursue that vision, of supporting people around you to develop, and of staying humble and level-headed. And in this interview, you'll also hopefully learn, as Sadevi says, that one person in the right place can make a huge difference. So here's the interview now, and I began by asking Sadevi how he got involved in medicine in the first place. I didn't want to be a doctor. I wanted to be an electronics engineer, make robots and control the world. <laughs> That's what my initial ambition was. But then then I got a bit romantic and thought, okay, it's good to be a missionary doctor. But I didn't really understand what it meant, uh, what it really entailed or involved. So I just happened to start medicine. Like in, in India, in those days... Uh, you know, you didn't have too many choices uh, of uh, professions. Uh, so you either became a doctor or an engineer or an uh, civil services officer. So I just happened to take up medicine. <clears throat> so I didn't really have a calling like that to start with. But uh, by the second year of medicine or the third year, when I started uh, seeing patients, uh, and really getting to interact with people, sick patients. So prior to that, I was uh, quite casual about my studies. But once I started seeing them, then I realized, my goodness, I'm dealing with human lives. And then I thought I, I must never let anybody die in my hands just like that uh, for lack of uh, knowledge or skills. And therefore, I, then I started becoming quite passionate about what I learned and very hungry to learn. 
Uh, and then, of course, you know, I didn't really have a, a great understanding of uh, career progression and things like that. But uh, one thing just led to the other. And uh, yeah, and that's where <laughs> I just landed up here. Yeah. So it's not like I, ha- I was very focused and things like that. Mm. You've talked in the past about um, the state of healthcare in your part of India. Um, do you want to tell us a bit about healthcare in your part of the world? My state is Nagaland, which is the northeast of India, and it just borders Burma. It's the most underdeveloped part of the country. And uh, the place just next to us, Burma, is of course, uh, uh, that part of Burma is the most underdeveloped in the whole Burma also. And the people there are extremely poor and have never seen a doctor in their lives, for many of them. And my state is, of course, uh, very the most underdeveloped. And therefore, yeah, I felt that it's important to come back because I was working in a, uh, I was doing my post-graduation in a little bit of work in South India, that's Christian Medical College, Velo, which is, you know, one of the most famous institutions in the country. Mm. And uh, they had, uh, my seniors said, oh, why don't you stay here? We need you and things like that. But I felt that, you know, I need to go back and I realize now that, you know, if I had been in Velour, a very big institution, or in a place like Delhi, I would have possibly been condemned to be a gastroenterologist. You know, <laughs> and maybe a, a good gastroenterologist, <laughs> but, you know, but uh, when I came back here, I realized that I can be involved in many, many areas apart from just a very highly focused area. And uh, I could contribute much more because, uh, you know, I wasn't competing with anybody here. In, in a metro city, I would be sort of one amongst the many, many, you know, and trying to find a purpose for my living. But here, at least, I realized that, you know, I can make a difference and, you know, yeah, with a good team along with me, then we can make significant change and impact in our region. So I feel quite happy being here. And I find that, uh, you know, we don't have a lot of the facilities and technology and things like that that are there in other parts of the country, but we have fantastic opportunities because there's so much work to do. Uh, I mean, you cannot uh, complain of not having work. So since we have so many challenges under development, so all the more exciting, you know, there's so much to keep us occupied. So you came back to Nagaland and... Uh, ultimately, you've become the the director of this quite large hospital. Were, were you initially seeking a leadership role? Uh, no, not really. I've always been interested in people and trying to build people to the potential that God has uh, created them to be. So I never thought of myself as a leader. And even now, I don't, I try my best not to behave like one. You know, because I feel that there's a huge number of people here, fantastic people, good people, and I really feel my role is to facilitate and help them to grow and not hinder their growth. So, yeah, when if you think of the prototype leader, um, I'm not sure what it would look like, but yeah, I feel my role is really to help and facilitate the growth of others. And I always felt that, you know, I, at the end of my life, I should have develop 10 people to be much better than what I am I am or what I can do so yeah <clears throat> yeah, yeah that reminds me one thing you said to me before Sadevi that um 
really stuck with me is this idea that as a leader, you want to make yourself dispensable rather than indispensable. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So am I right in thinking that you helped set up the hospital that you're now at? Uh, Yes, but the idea wasn't generated by me. There were other people who felt it would be good to have a hospital, a fairly decent hospital in the northeast of India, so that people would not have to travel all the way to down south India. And so they thought it'd be nice to have it somewhere in Nagaland. Uh, because some of us were there, and so we just thought, okay, we'll we'll see how things go. And uh, I wasn't really thinking of being a main leader to set this up. I mean, we were there from the beginning, but it was a team effort. So I can't really take credit for everything, <laughs> although I, of course, invested all my life in it. Yeah. Mm. And what what bit, what were some of the the challenges in in setting this hospital up? Well, to start with, um, when, when, when this uh, idea was first uh, generated, there were some very big people, in very famous people from Velour and in missions in India who came and said, we will, you provide the hardware, we'll provide the software, meaning people. Mm. And I was given the impression that uh, there would be a large amount of support from uh, the mission circles and from Christian Medical College Velour. But when it started, we had nobody. It was just me and my wife. And uh, so uh, I had done a lot of lobbying and trying to mobilize the whole of Naga society, the bureaucracy, politicians, church, civil society, in order to support this. But when we started, there was absolutely nobody from from the people who had generated the idea. So... So people were quite disappointed. And so I had to sort of keep telling them that, yeah, they are behind it. <laughs> so uh, we just had to start and do our best. And then over a span of time, we invited a lot of people from Velour and other parts of mission circles. And today we have a significant amount of support from several organizations. So, But initially it was quite tough. And trying to get people because our salaries were very low, uh, we didn't know because ours was in the outskirts. Tra- uh, the transport is very, very bad here. Uh, almost no resemblance of public transport. The violence was very heavy. There was uh, factional fighting. There were, you know, major conflicts and bomb blasts close to our hospital. So, and then the salary was very, very less. And so, most people did not want to come and join us. And and I also did not want to advertise because I felt advertising was unethical and therefore it was just by word of mouth. So one patient at a time would go and tell others that this is a decent place. And over a span of time now, we get quite a sizable number of patients coming in and and a lot of doctors have now started applying here for a job. You've painted a picture there of a, a lot of obstacles to, to setting up the hospital um, yeah. including little money and bomb blasts and no public transport and things like this. Um, what was what was key, do you think, to inspiring people or, or encouraging people to look past all of those obstacles and, and join you in this endeavour? Yeah, so when we first started, we had very few patients and uh, we did not, um, our infrastructure was not adequate. 
but we had advertised for uh, for staff to join and so whoever came when they joined they did not have much work to do so what we did is we uh, we did uh, try to generate a lot of community activity so try to keep the community very close knit celebrate each each other's various events and then started a lot of farming you know and uh, a lot of educational uh, activity to keep them occupied uh, several classes and uh, so people who had uh, like weddings and things like that we would do potluck and i tell uh, our staff saying don't worry about your wedding we'll take care of everything community will take care so it was a very close knit community and i think that is one thing which has uh, helped us to grow so now we are generally our staff is about 482 and um, another 100 or so outsourced staff but what we've been trying to do is and is also one of our objectives is to keep the community together so as you grow larger the community becomes you know more dispersed and uh, and therefore we've been trying our best to generate as much as possible of community support and you know to develop a community of caring and support which can reflect the character of Christ to others so i i think apart from some bright people uh, good technical skills and things i think the one thing which has really helped this institute to grow is really um, investment in people so we've been doing a lot of investing a lot in human resources training you know several initiatives uh, workshops skills um, marriage seminars um, communications workshops uh, life skills workshops and trauma and healing workshops things like that so we've been giving people protected time even at the cost of you know others having to bear their work and so i think over a span of time a lot of people feel very good to be here they feel that this is a really nice place to be and yeah apart from a lot of other spiritual activities and uh, um retreats and things like that so i think people feel cared for the the staff feel generally cared for the last uh, one of the last interviewees on this show was a guy by the name of lord nigel crisp who used to run the uk's national health service and um he talked about how or encouraging people to see health as created in a community rather than in a hospital and it sounds like you're talking about a a similar thing um i wonder do, do you have a challenge in in persuading people so for example there you talked about a hospital running marriage workshops and running communications workshops did you experience a difficulty in in persuading uh the people who control the money or decision makers that um that this is the kind of thing a hospital should be doing uh no now it's not a problem because people have got used to it and um I'm a little thick skinned. Okay. <laughs> so, so even if people, you know, are a few people are not too happy about it, uh but still then we just keep at it, you know, so we've been trying to in put in as many things as possible, uh, saline solution, <laughs> leadership workshops, etc., etc. So I think people have got used to it and they realize that I'm, you know, this guy's not going to change much is <laughs> you know not uh, but what what I'm uh, what we've been trying to tell our staff is that uh, uh 
you know, not to keep the hospital as not, of course, hospital is related to healthcare and patients, and that's, of course, our primary role, but uh, the, the hospital is really our platform to gain credibility so that we can address the various issues of society. Gives us much more credibility if we do a good job here. So to think of this hospital as a platform for, you know, community transformation rather than just, you know, treating patients, uh, crisis management type of thing. So I think as uh, quite a lot of people now feel they are part of a bigger purpose than just the hospital. Otherwise, if you think of only the hospital, then you they might say, okay, we don't have an MRI, we don't have this, our salary is not that great, keep comparing. But if they're thinking of this institution as something which is, uh, you know, transformational to society, then they would be much more confident that they're in the right place. What you're saying reminds me of uh, sometimes um, when Christians talk about the church. Okay, so a lot of people, when they hear the word church, will think of a building and Christians will maybe say the church isn't the building, it's the, it's the people and our relationships. Uh-huh. Is your vision of a hospital a, th- a similar thing? Like when, when people hear the word hospital, would you rather they thought of the, the people and the relationships with the community rather than a building and its facilities? Yeah, absolutely. I Actually, before coming here, when I was in Kohima, another city close by, me and a friend of ours, another doctor friend, we were caretaker pastors of the church. So we had started the church with a few friends of ours. And so I had to work on the curriculum of the church and plan on how to, you know, how the church to grow and all. But when I came down here, uh, since we got so occupied in this hospital, I personally feel I have more of a pastoral role. And actually pastoral pastors are administrators Pastors need to be good administrators, uh, good HR practices, management, organizing, mentoring. <laughs> you know, so a pastor's job is not so simple. So I felt that my role here is more of a pastoral work. And I do feel that, yeah, this church is really the hospital. It's fairly synonymous with what, what we're trying to do. Church is God's masterpiece on earth, you know, to display the character of Christ to others. And therefore, I feel... This hospital should be that, you know, um, yeah, display the character of uh, Christ to others. And that makes me think of when when I first spoke to you, when um, you, you were kind of first becoming part of Aruka Network, you described healthcare in, in your part of the world and you, you talked quite vividly about uh, the distinct flavour that Christian healthcare brings to your region and you know the uh, christian is the first word in the name of your hospital do you want to tell us about how would you define that uh, christian healthcare compared to perhaps other forms of healthcare in your part of the world this is a question which a lot of people ask me quite often they say you put your say uh, the word christian so what is it which makes you christian and uh, that's a a good question to keep us, uh, you know, remind us of why we're here. So if you think in terms of spiritual activities, being a Christian hospital, yes, we do have a lot of uh, Bible studies, prayer meetings, aligned solution, communicating Christ to patients in the hospital and things like that. So if you look at activities, yes, there's a quite, a, quite a lot of it, but 
that may or may not necessarily make you Christian. So I would feel that what really would make us Christian is, you know, if our minds are transformed, uh, thoughts and minds are transformed by the renewal, by through the scripture, then we try to implement as much of scriptural principles in our daily practice. So uh, so I, the other day I talked to our HR manager and I said, how would you apply the cross to HR practices in our hospital? You know, that just, <laughs> I just threw it at her so she got stunned. So, you know, as we, we do performance appraisals, how does the cross relate to it? Uh, you know, as we do our administrative, um, uh, you know, meetings, how does the cross apply to it? And how many, you know, as many Christian principles or biblical principles we try to put into various aspects of finance or, uh, you know, various aspects of administration. Uh, so I, I think that would be, uh, apart from being Christ-centered, which is, of course, uh, very easy to forget and lose focus because, you know, we can be doing a lot of very good activities, but also a lot of people do good activities. So if we lose that Christ-centeredness, and that's something which we need to be reminded very often about, then, of course, uh, we can lose that focus and we can just be the name Christian and not really be it. So, yeah, Christ-centeredness and uh, biblical principles of Scripture integrated with as many aspects of our hospital administration relationships as possible. So so that's still a lot of work in progress. Uh, we are not there. We have a huge amount of work left to do so. So the other day I was just, we're trying to integrate all our spiritual activities. So we have the chapel committee, residence quarters, uh, Bible studies, nurses, Bible studies, all that. So I was just talking to our, we had a combined meeting of all the, you know, the kind of people who are doing various activities. And I was saying, are there people who we have neglected and left out? You know, And then we realized, yes, we have left out some people, the billing people or people who are the cleaners and all. And we realize that, uh, yeah, we need to focus on them uh, and give them center stage, you know, not as a, you know, just as an afterthought. So uh, there's still a lot of work left to make it truly Christian. Mm. Talking about people uh, that are perhaps left out. So in the past, you've talked about how difficult it is to travel around your region. Um, and so presumably it's quite difficult for people to get to your hospital. Do you want to tell me a bit about how the hospital workers go out into the community and how central that is to the work that you do? Yeah, that that is actually very, very important because uh, today we are the largest hospital in our state and uh, a lot of people uh, come to our hospital and they find that our, you know, our services are fairly advanced, uh, we have technology, we have facilities, and, uh, you know, they think, oh, you guys are doing well and things like that. But then this is just one part of, you know, the state of Navaland. And, you know, for the, for one person who comes here, a thousand others are not able to make it. And so we feel very dissatisfied not being able to relate to people outside. So I realized that we are limited in terms of funds, in terms of manpower and location and terrain. So the only way we can make 
a change and impact in our state is by networking with as many good people as possible in the state. So we're trying to look aggressively for partners with whom we can link and network and with whom we can uh, we can support, we can train. So we, we've developed various, um, uh, quite a few training groups and we started sending them to you know places in the remote areas uh, to our partners and um, we've also linked with the church because the church has you know 1600 churches under the Nagaland Baptist Church Council there are other denominations also but uh, with the Baptist Church we've told them that you have 1600 churches can we train 1600 health workers over a span of time and uh, we've just started that with uh, two Bap- tribal church organizations it's just started we're using the we're using the distance education modules from Christian Medical College Bello. They've produced some very nice uh, uh, modules for lay leaders and people working in remote areas. Uh, so we feel that this is a very important area. We're also trying to li- work with the government. You know, in the past, I used to be anti-government, but now I realize we must work with the government. And although there are, we understand the government can be slow, there can be corruption, there can be all kinds of problems, but we still need to work with them. And so we're trying to, like yesterday, I just had a meeting with the Department of Health, all the top people there. And I said, we have, we don't have money, but we have a lot of resources in terms of information, training, um, you know, connections, contacts, and we would like to share that as much as possible. So please use us as much as possible, you know. So we've tried to offer them uh, people in biomedical engineering and nurse training and all kinds of things, you know. So uh, I feel that, um, yeah, we alone, we are a small group, but uh, our connections in the Christian medical world are huge. And if I can just connect people to each other, we have, uh, if we identify the resources and identify the, the need, and if we can be a facilitator to, you know, uh, to connect this resource and the need, then I think that can do much more work than we can do alone because we are very limited. So our group of networks, you know, if I can connect a good person with resources to a needy area, uh, that will do much more than what I can do alone. Yeah. So I think networking is very, very key to this. Yeah. So I I think one thing that struck me about you in conversations we've had in the past is your wisdom on leadership um, and some of the things you say, which at first hearing, I've thought, oh, that sounds counterintuitive. And then the more I thought about it, the more I thought, oh, hang on, that's brilliant. And it's uh, something really exciting. Um, so I'd, I'd quite like to just ask about your, I guess, reflections on leadership. Um, for example, one thing you've said is that trying to encourage people to not be afraid to fail um, and to try new things at a good pace and not be yes. afraid to fail. How, how does that, um, how does that manifest itself in your, in your hospital? Yeah. So as the, uh, the amount of work continues to increase, I realized that uh, you need to delegate very aggressively and in the process of delegating, uh, a lot of people will make mistakes, but we need to give them space to make those mistakes. And it can be very costly mistakes also. Um, but um, internally, I need to create space 
to for that to happen. Uh, because if I haven't made space, then when it happens, I can get upset. So I think uh, I mean, there's there's a technique uh, of uh, delegating, but um, uh, not controlling, but at the same time supporting and facilitating. So yeah, one of the things which I've been trying to do is uh, I've been training to tell a lot of my uh, my uh, colleagues and all is that when you are teaching or trying to delegate or training, uh, always train with uh, three lines of leadership, three generations of leadership in mind or or learners in mind. You know, Second Timothy two two. You know, train others to train others to train others. So when when you have that in mind, then the methodology of your training is quite different. And so yeah, to to be able to delegate very aggressively and see what else is there which has not yet been delegated. Um, yeah, and, and then and make a lot of space for people to make those mistakes. But um, what, what I've been telling many of our staff is, uh, I can give you, you know, we have low expectations and low support, and in which case things won't, you know, you become quite sloppy, or I can give you high expectation and low support, uh, which means you get frustrated, or I can give you uh, uh, high support and low expectations, in which case, you know, uh, it won't work out. But the best is to have very high expectations and very high support. So that's something which I learned from David Wong from Haga Institute. And uh, that seems to work quite well. Uh, um, this makes me wonder, and it's a shame I don't have any your members of the hospital here to ask, but I wonder how the people working underneath you how they see you or how they feel working underneath you because I can imagine that could simultaneously be really exciting and also quite quite scary perhaps as well do you do you have do you have a sense <laughs> of how people feel working with you yeah I mean <laughs> yeah maybe an I unfair question. don't think <laughs> yeah I, I do not think people get stressed out mm. uh, because um I, I generally, uh, I'm a bit cold-blooded in the sense that I, I don't, you know, a lot of success, uh, I don't get very elated when we get success, and I don't feel very depressed when we get uh, have failures. So, you know, I realize that, you know, I can be a bit unnerving to some people, um, but I have generally tried to be as open and authentic as possible and transparent so that... Uh, people can see all my frailties and my failures. I try as far as possible to open up myself to them so that, uh, you know, they're aware that I'm just like anybody else so that they don't feel stressed out. And uh, generally, I like to ask people to audit me, you know, so I'm generally on the ground most of the times. Uh, try as far as possible not to act like a leader, you know, and just crack a lot of jokes so that, some ridiculous joke so that they you know, this is just just another one of those guys yeah you you described yourself during the course of this interview as uh thick-skinned and cold-blooded um i, I wonder yeah. how how important those two things are to running a hospital <laughs> yeah i mean uh, a lot of people will criticize and things like that Fortunately, we don't face too much of criticism in our hospital. Um, we, uh, you know, we have a lot of public goodwill, government goodwill, 
and things like that. So a lot of people say nice things about us and and that is quite dangerous because we can start thinking that we are good. And uh, so, yeah, I, I don't have to face that much of criticism, but I, I know that we we do make lots of blunders. So I I generally try to talk about all the blunders that we make, mm. you know, and I make, mm. you know, so that I, I know in the process, I know that they've also, they can identify with many of that. I, I feel that it's good to share your failures as much as your successes. But when you share all your successes, then people start thinking you're Superman and we can't be like you. So when you share your failures and the things which I can tell them, this is what I did and this is what you should not do, you know, and how I got my, you know, foot in the mouth disease or, you know, uh, the blunders that I made, then people, you know, identify much easier. So thick skin in the sense that I, I don't get very upset very easily. For example, uh, with my wife, she she can be quite clumsy at times. So she generally keeps breaking, uh, you know, <laughs> expensive, expensive uh, you know, cutlery and yeah. things like that. So I have told her, I'm giving you uh, a quota of <laughs> one expensive cla- cutlery per ma- per okay. week. So when she breaks it and I hear the sound, I say, hey, great, I give me a high five, you've done your quota. So, <laughs> so, so same thing with my kids, you know. So I so that, that's the same thing which I do with most of our staff. Like, I don't really get very upset when they don't do things well. Yeah. What, what's, your, what's your hope for the future of the hospital? Yeah, so the government wants us to become a medical college and they're pushing us very hard to do that. Um, I don't think medical colleges transform health. So we are trying to get involved in several areas, things like school health, church health project, relationship with the government, church social action, income generating skills, nurse educators and things like that. So what I would like to really see is this hospital, one is to develop Christian medical leadership. So we we want as many leaders, so we're aggressive about developing Christian leaders because one person in the right place can make a huge difference and therefore to really work on developing leadership who can move to various parts of the state and region and make changes in health or in other areas. Second is educational institutions. So we're working on several courses and trying to get more and more institutions in place. We want to develop an integrated center for disability, which can mentor and train people in the entire region. We would like to network as much as possible so that uh, you know we can build and uh, capacity uh, build capacity as much as possible in the region, and of course research. We would like to be able to be, you know, uh, research a lot of the needs in our society, which can lead to major policy changes in how healthcare is looked after looked at in our society. So for me, the the hospital is, of course, uh, a good place to work. Uh, Medicine is delicious. You really enjoy doing clinical medicine. But but I would really feel that this is a platform for community transformation. So they should not look at the hospital as uh, just an apex center, which will give healing and things like that, which it is definitely a part of, but more of a, a means to an entire community transformation. Mm. What's the hardest thing about your job? I think it is to 
One is, of course, I, I do feel very, very stretched out at times. In the sense, balancing medicine, uh, clinical medicine and administration is quite a strain. Yeah, I wouldn't advise too many people to do that. It can kill you. So you're still you're still uh, treating or consulting uh, with patients then? Yeah, it's a full-time, it's like almost a 24-7 uh, job. So mm. no weekends, morning and evening, doing rounds, OPDs, outpatients, and uh, several procedures. But at the same time, a full administ- full-time administrative job. Mm. So I just need to... Uh, walk extremely fast, <laughs> work very, very, very fast, uh, so, and just collapse at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, Sidevi, I don't have any more questions. Is there, is there anything you'd like to add? I think the most important thing is that um, when people go to missions or start a vacation, which they feel God has called them to be in, then a lot of people feel that they're doing God's work and contributing something. But for me, I think uh, the work that I am in is really the means for my transformation. And uh, that's what I've been talking to a lot of our staff saying, we're doing good work, but make sure that you're looking to see where God is in this. no, And to look uh, very actively for God in various places, in the relationships, events, and things like that, so that you really... Uh, you know, so that at the end of the day, you know, you, you become more gracious and you learn how to, you should not be, you know, an angry man that things aren't working out well or proud because you've achieved so much, but you've been able to see the Lord Jesus Christ in this work. And in the means, in the process of that, you get transformed. So personally, the work that I do is really for my own, for my transformation. And the byproduct is, of course, whatever else comes out of it yeah that seems like a nice place to finish so Debbie, thank you for for coming on the show yeah thanks a lot for connecting once again it's really good to listen to your voice again that was the voice of dr sadevi angami who runs a hospital in northeast india and that's almost it for this episode before we go i will remind you that you can catch up on previous episodes of how to build community on our soundcloud page or in your podcast player just search how to build community aruka network and aruka is spelt a-r-u-k-a-h You can also help support this show by making a small monthly donation on our Patreon page. Just visit patreon.com forward slash Aruka Network. And you can learn more about us on our website. Just visit arukanetwork.org. And finally, if you have some feedback on this show or suggestions for future interviewees, then you can reach me via email jake at arukanetwork.org but that's it from me until next time bye for now